previously on the Sports Refuge podcast. Just being able to like be in a space where it's intellect and quick thinking and blackness and of coloredness is celebrated. It really colored my experience. From Delaware, almost live. This is a Sports Refuge podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. It's time for the 85th episode of the Sports Refuge, the show where guests share their connection to sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. When I first met Destiny Morgan Davis, she was part of a core trio of players leading the Wicomico High School softball team to a resurgence in 2014. Since then, Davis went on to play at the college level at Wesley College, where she majored in sports management before ultimately finding opportunities as an intern with the Baltimore Orioles and some opportunities with the Philadelphia Soul of the Arena Football League. While a career in sports management wasn't in the cards, Davis was able to find her passion in doing something she loved, creating art and painting. In this episode, I talk with Davis about her path to Wesley, her interest in sports marketing, and some of the lessons she learned from that experience. We'll also talk about the importance of good mental health, finding her passion for art, and being able to have it displayed, as well as her life-changing move to Florida. And now, my interview with Destiny Morgan Davis. My guest is someone who I had the chance to interview when she was in high school, not for just one story, but two stories. First, of her being a twin, and then... Also, her playing as part of the central core of the Wicomico High School softball team. And it feels like it's been so, so long ago since it happened. I can't even remember the year. I know it has to be at least the 20 teens. And here to talk about really where her path has been since then, this is Destiny Davis. I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. How are things going? Things are going great. Just moved to Florida, so everything is sunshine, heat. Not many cloudy days, so I can't complain. So everything's been great. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. We had talked about this a little bit offline about you moving to Florida. I guess for people who may not know the story of why you left the eastern shore of Maryland, you know, so plentiful, as everyone would say, to come to Florida. (laughs) What led to that decision? And really, what are some of the differences? Was there a culture shock or anything along those lines? So first, I was at an at-home job. It was my first at-home job. I thought it was great, like got to work from bed from sometimes and um, got to do other things, do a little cleaning here and there in the house. But it got to be way too much for me. And we ended up, me and my partner decided, we both met and we both wanted to go to Florida. And um, he was ready to move. I wasn't happy with my position at my job anymore. And we were just like, let's go. So we headed down to Florida. I got a job at a restaurant here called Left Coast Seafood Company as the front of house manager. And it's been a complete 180 from my previous job. My previous job, they were actually based out of New Mexico, but it was very much work, 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 and not a lot of breaks. It was just a lot of overtime, things that I wasn't happy with. And this job, I have a set schedule and everything. And I'm back in the restaurant industry where I started when I was 15. And it kind of feels like I'm back at home. So that's nice. Culture wise, we moved to an area that is in the 90% of a white population where me coming from Salisbury, it was definitely a little weird. This area is more more conservative which I'm a little not used to but that's something that you go around and it's kind of like almost like an unspoken thing here where it's like you don't talk politics you don't talk religion everyone's just down in Florida here to have a good time and it's kind of like you just don't bring those things up which is something that's different for me because I've always really liked to use my voice for many different platforms. So that's something kind of like almost monitoring the things that I say and just being aware of who I am around. So that's probably the biggest change that has been for me since I've moved to this area of Florida. Quick thing, I always just say from someone, depending on what your political stance is, it's always interesting that if you lean a little more left, especially on the Eastern Shore, when you go across the bridge, even for that example, you're considered more of a moderate as opposed to everything else that's a little left of center of the state. But yeah, that always made it interesting because even the most left-leaning person on the Eastern Shore, they come off as more of a moderate there. Yeah. And it's crazy because when I came down here, it's almost like, it's like, 
you're a snowflake liberal. It's like the complete opposite. It's, it's it's so crazy just by being in a couple restaurants and just like like me going out with my partner and just hanging out and stuff and hearing conversations like on the beach and stuff. And it's just crazy. It's kind of like the approach here is if it's uncomfortable, then we just don't talk about it. Like there's just, and if then somebody does bring it up, it just like everybody gets really hostile. It like doesn't go well. I mean, there's some like, People print things on their big boats here that are, I'm like, that's really wrong. Like, it's definitely different. There are some parts of Salisbury that I see here, but it's definitely more conservative area. One of the first things I wanted to ask you about, because the first way I met you was the story I did about twins. And I did a story about probably three or four pairs of twins. And interestingly enough, you are fraternal twins, you and your brother, Wayne. Who is the oldest out of this two? And I remember asking you this one question as twins. Do you have sort of that ESP link? <laughs> so I'm actually older. I'm four minutes earlier born than him. And it's kind of fun because I'm always like, well, I'm four minutes older. So, so just let it, I have to remind him. That was like a younger thing. But my mom tells me the story. But the only time, because honestly, me and my brother are like complete opposites. He's very much into video games and those types of things. And I'm more into athletic things and art and those things like that. But they said one time we were at the zoo and... I was with my mom and my brother was with my grandma and we weren't in the same area of the zoo and we were trying to meet up and somehow Wayne knew exactly where to go like they didn't call him the phone or nothing Wayne knew exactly where to go he like said he could feel where I was and I was like mom that's crazy like why have you never told me this like we could have been testing this out strengthening this or something. But other than that, I would describe it as just like any other sibling. I see my younger brother just like I see my twin brother. Yeah, I always think of this story that involved the Bee Gees and two of them were twins. And they said that when one was in a train accident, the other could feel it. They knew something was wrong. And I don't know if they're identical twins, but they looked fairly close alike. And it just made me think of that. And it's like, because that's the whole thing. I ask every single pair of twins are like do you have that esp because sometimes right. uh if they're playing on the field then you know where the other person is going to be so you right. can like make a pass or something like that so that's why i was very curious about the whole esp thing because with mother and child and things like that where it's, it's a very close yeah. bond as well yeah exactly but unfortunately not i wish we could we could probably make some really cool tiktoks or something and become tiktok famous but unfortunately not <laughs> what were some of your favorite sports growing up well, softball was my most favorite one to watch and to play. I liked baseball, but it was just really hard because it's I'm so used to such a faster pace with softball. So it was definitely harder for me to watch it. But I loved going to the games because just the atmosphere and then like professional games. But then like going being younger when I would go to my brother's little league games and stuff. Oh, my gosh. All the kids who weren't playing would meet up and we'd get our hot dogs and then we'd go play that game where you throw the tennis ball against the shed and you run and try to tag the shed, whatever game that was. But we loved it. I also loved basketball. I played basketball for a little bit. I can't jump and I shoot the ball like this instead of like this. When I try to shoot it like this, it just it doesn't really go anywhere. So, so I stopped playing basketball once I got to high school. And then I really liked soccer because it kept me in shape. That was fun playing the games. And I didn't really appreciate the sport and how elegant and like beautiful it was until I got older and I started watching soccer. I think it was just being young, like not really being able to fully appreciate the talent and the skill that goes behind it because I only played soccer in high school. I didn't play it like really recreationally in high school or I didn't play travel soccer or anything. But when I got older, I was like, wow, I can't do this. So like, I should probably appreciate this more. But I would definitely say softball was definitely my number one sport and my most favorite. <laughs> Academics and things like that. Were you honor student or anything like that going to Wahai? What were some of the things that you did outside the athletic field? So I was a really big perfectionist in high school. I wanted to have straight A's all the time. I remember I was in middle school and I got... I think a C in home ec and my world was spinning. I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't cook and I'm going to fail and life is 
terrible. But I was a straight A student in high school. And I got to give the scholarly address, which was really awesome, because it was kind of like a competition. Certain people would be elected to write an essay. And there were like four different topics. And then you submitted them, I believe, to the guidance counselor, and he chose who would give the scholarly address. And I remember I chose finding things in the world to inspire you, something like that. And I remember being so nervous and writing it and just thinking, I'm like, there's so many smart kids in the school. Like, I know I'm not going to be picked. And you also got $1,000 for a scholarship. So when I was picked, I was like, oh, my God, like, this is crazy. This is my senior year. And I get to speak at graduation because I never was really into SGA or anything. Like, I loved what they did and I would vote and do everything for that. But I was never really somebody who would be able to speak at graduation because I was on the SGA team. But it was something that, like, I secretly wanted to do. And then when I won, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. The only thing that was a little difficult about that speech was in the Wicomico Civic Center. When you're speaking, there's just this really big echo. You have to try to not repeat yourself after you just heard yourself say something two seconds later. (laughs) But that was probably my biggest accomplishment for school that is still pretty near to my heart. And then I also worked. As soon as Mm -hmm. I was 15, I wanted to get a car. didn't have my license yet, but I wanted to get a car. And I wanted to be able to go to the movies and do all the things with my friends. So I got my first job at Cactus Taverna. Um, in Salisbury. It's this little Mediterranean restaurant. And I ended up working there for like, on and off, maybe seven years. It was a really good place. It was definitely the place that I'm happy I started because they treat everyone like family there. And they worked around my sports schedule, which playing travel, high school and recreational is like really unheard of if someone's going to work around your schedule. So they were really kind about that too. As an athlete playing, you said, recreation, travel, and varsity sports, plus trying to be an A student, did you ever worry about burnout down the road? Because I've known a lot of people who some of them were valedictorians. You'd think they would go on to do great things, and there's nothing against some of the people who end up making those decisions later in life. But did you worry about that, maybe burning you out down the road? Because I'll honestly admit, I was a bit of an underachiever in high school, sort of bored, but eventually like college, then that's when the lights turned on and that's when I was sort of more focused, but. Well, yeah. And I mean, honestly, that's expected because when you go to college, you're learning things that you want to learn, you know, like things that are actually like that you're going to use like in every day of your life. I don't really remember the last time I used Y equals MX plus B. I don't, I hate that I remember it, but. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's actually something that I never really thought about mental burnout. I never thought that there was going to be a point where I was like, I can't do this like mentally, like physically I'm okay, but mentally I just can't do this. That's not something that ever crossed my mind. Now with sports, I mean, I was going to the gym and doing workouts and everything and my arm like from pitching, like I was always worried about like I would get the, what's it called? It's tendonitis in your elbow, but they, they call it something. Um, and it would, it would be so painful sometimes. And I, I was never a person to be like, I'm hurt. I don't want to play. Like, I remember one time when I was little, I got a ball thrown in my face. My lip was busted and everything. And I put a mask on and I went right out and started pitching. So it's never been like something where I wanted to complain about. But then when I got into college, I also developed chronic lower back pain from pitching. I was being overpitched there. And then I also developed a heart condition. And that is kind of when the breaking point happened for me where I was physically burnt out. I was mentally burnt out. And it's something that you don't really think about as a kid. Because when I was in high school, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what happens after you go to college and you get a job and then your life is over? And now I'm 25 and I'm like, whoa, I was such a little kid. Like, I didn't need to think that the world was going to end. I didn't need to go that hard on myself. I didn't need to be a perfectionist and do all these things. I mean, it's great that I got straight A's in high school and everything, but I would have still been able to gotten into Wesley, probably with a similar scholarship that I was given. And it kind of seems like it almost wasn't worth it. If, you know, if I ever like were to tell somebody that's at, like in high school now, like there are some kids at my job that they're like, I want to work all the time and make all the money. And I'm like, okay, you have the rest of your life to work. Trust me. Please enjoy being a high school kid. So I do tell some of my employees that. But yeah, it's something that never really crossed my mind when I was younger. And then it kind of all hit me when I was in college. So it's definitely something that people should be taught about 
in school, especially if they're in sports and academics, because there's so many pressures coming from everybody sometimes, like pressures from your teachers, pressures from your parents, pressures from your peers, you know, because kids are judgy in high school, man. Like they can be hurtful and they can say things that they don't mean, but can really be harmful. So yeah, I, anytime some kids like I need to grind and I need to do this, this I'm like, just remember to take care of yourself and self-care first too. Yeah. And there's so many things that can branch off that. I'm like, you can think, sure, there's people who are dedicated. You have your Michael Jordans, your Kobe Bryant, your LeBron James, people who live and eat and breathe it. And then you have some people, I always think of this one player who drafted by the Rockets, Royce White. The anxiety was so bad that he needed a particular airplane and things like this and other things like that. And that's a whole different story. And I don't know how bad his anxiety was because some people say, oh, he might have been milking it, but you never know. It got to the point where his anxiety was so bad and that he felt that the team didn't you know what he was trying to do that he just said i'm fine just not playing and yeah and it can go plenty of ways it there's so many different variables when you look at stories of people who are walk-ons who did this and that and then you got like i said the jordans and kobe's and all those things it can go so many different ways yeah and you always want to be that one in a million you always want to be that kobe or that michael like you do but i think for me too it came to a realization my senior year of high school, where I was like, you don't really make a lot of money playing softball. I mean, the only money there is, is, you know, sponsorship. And that is so, so crazy. Because when I was going through classes at Wesley, there was this class, sports psychology. And I didn't get to take it, didn't get fit into my schedule anywhere. But I do know some people that took it and they were like, after they took it, they were like, this, this knowledge should be something every coach should know. And they, sh- so they can help prevent their players from experiencing burnout, from experiencing anxiety or whatever it may be. When I learned about that, I was like, I didn't even know there was a whole section of life with sports psychology. Like who knew people were studying this and they, they know things that every coach should know or, or every player should know, like almost like a coach workshop should be done or something. But I mean, don't know what you don't know. So <laughs> I know before we go a little further into Wesley, I know you talked about pitching. What would you say, if there was a scouting report on you as a pitcher, what was your repertoire and how would you best describe your abilities? Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, one thing I would say about me is that I was a pitcher that would never give up. My dad would come up to me or the coach of my travel team, he would come up to me and that he would like have the ball in his hand and like all four pitchers or three pitchers would be standing there and he'd be like, who wants the ball? And I'd be like me. Like I was the person that I wanted to have the control over the game. And that's really what you, as a pitcher, you controlled the flow of the game. And I would say that I was a pretty good pitcher. I wouldn't say that I had the best curveball. I wouldn't say I had the best screwball. I would say I have one of the best change up and I threw the ball hard. I was also a very, very quick pitcher because I also played shortstop. So it was like, I loved when people bunted. Our bunt coverage was so well and I had an arm of a shortstop. So a lot of people wouldn't bunt when I was pitching. So that was something nice. But yeah, and I think my changeup was really well known about. It was a really great feeling like coming around and putting all that effort into it and just to push it off your palm. And then either the person would be completely like baffled or you would just get some crazy swing like something that was like oh reaching out there or something but I think I was a pretty decent pitcher I don't want to like toot my own horn but I I think I was better than average for sure (laughs) I asking people this especially the difference between softball and baseball and it pitch grips and stuff like that and I know there's a probably a whole bunch more that goes into softball grips and well probably equally with a baseball grips it's like when you get those two comparisons it's like Okay, how important is a grip in softball as opposed to baseball? Honestly, it really depends on your style of pitching, to be honest. But there are some people, like, there are, like, four different grips for a changeup. There's a few different grips for a curveball. So I would say they're important, but no specific grip, I think, is better than another. I think it just honestly depends on the person and how they're executing it. Are they right-handed? Are they left-handed? Are you pitching to a right-handed batter? Are you pitching to a left-handed batter? all that stuff. So I would say it's definitely important. If I didn't have my hands right for my curveball, that thing was not curving. It was not going to (laughs) break. So, and those would be the games where I'm like, oh, don't hit it back at me, please. (laughs) 
<laughs> you're like, please break, please break. <laughs> so I'd say, yeah, finding the proper grip for the laces because the ball is just so big and the ball does get bigger as you get older. But I don't know. I've never really looked into baseball grips or how important they are. So I wouldn't be able to compare the two, but I would say they're definitely important. Getting that right spin that you want on your pitch. So definitely. Yeah, because I know there's at least three grips for change-ups that I know some people use. And then, of course, different fastballs and things like that. And it all yeah. depends on how you release it, off your yeah. fingertips, your, the seams. Stride. Oh, there's so many factors. Your power line, everything. Like, there's so many things that go into it. It's really a science, which it was really interesting because when I got to Wesley, I didn't really fully understand, like, how much science really goes into sports. I remember I did a biomechanics project on a softball bunt. I think it was 49 pages long on a bunt, like just going this way, like all the muscles and everything that has, it's crazy. Yeah. So I couldn't imagine how long that paper would be for, for a change job or something like that. <laughs> and I have friends who are like physics majors who don't follow sports. You just get them into a whole discussion about things like that. We've had hour long discussions about just the physics that are involved than just the most simple things. Yes, yes, exactly. And it's like a world that you didn't even know existed. It's like um, like Ant-Man and the whole quantum physics world. Like who even know, like who even knew about that? Like the whole different world. <laughs> so. Leading into Wesley, what led to you to go to Wesley and what were some of the other options you looked at and why the interest in sports management? So my dream school that I really wanted to go to was Flagler College down in near St. Augustine, Florida. I really wanted to go there. It was beautiful. It had a few different majors that I was like teetering between. Like I didn't really know what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I was like, what about this? What about this? I visited York College as well. And the cold just wasn't for me. Um, it was a really nice school. I was convinced, like, they really make you want to go to school there. I was like, I'm going to get the t-shirt because I think I might go here. And I, I didn't end up going there. I mean, it was really cold. Um, but then we saw Wesley had a sport management program and two because York had it too. And I knew I wanted to go to a smaller school because I just can't learn in auditoriums full of students. Like I need that one-on-one -on -one time with my teacher if it's needed. Like I need to be able to have access to my advisor and that teacher when I need it. So those two schools were like the main ones that I was looking between. I was actually looking at another school in Charlotte too, but ended up not visiting there. And I was actually, Wesley was interested in me for soccer at first. So I hadn't even met the softball coach. I hadn't even done anything there yet. So I went there, went to a camp for soccer and they had a nice sign that said, welcome destiny and all the really cool things. They took me on tours around the campus and everything. And the girls were super nice. And then I ended up doing a tour with the softball team as well. After she came out and looked at me um, playing travel and that was really awesome. And they made everything seem really welcoming and really, really, really fun to be around. But I didn't really understand this at the time either. There's not a lot of campus life on Wesley, like not a lot of things going on for students to do in general, except the partying. But that wasn't something that I was thinking about. Like I didn't think about, oh, what am I going to do in my free time when I'm not doing school? Like I was worried about what does my dorm look like? Who is going to be my roommate? And the program, the sport management program, I wasn't really worried about that other stuff because I was like, I'm going to be playing sport anyways. So yeah, so I ended up choosing Wesley because I was like, I could play soccer or softball there, whichever one I wanted. And it's only an hour and a half away from home because part of me wanted to go all the way to Florida. But then the other part of me was like, I'm really going to miss my parents. I'm really going to miss my mom. And just having my mom there, like, I know it's a little off topic, but even like my relationship with my mom, like got so much better when I went to school because we were just far enough apart to miss each other, but also be there for each other if needed. So that was like really nice. Um, that was really cool. I mean, I could go home and do my laundry and come back. I could go home for dinner and come back. So it was like nice. I was far enough away that I could still go when it was needed. Going into the sports management major, what was it that intrigued you about it? I love this question because I was so excited. Like when I saw a sport management program, I was like, that's my calling. Like it's the business side of things that I wanted to do incorporated with sports that I love. It was like, 
I, that's exactly what I want to do. And I remember writing this essay and they were asking me why sport management. And I remember writing in it like, I love the fact that at a sporting event, everybody's coming together. Everyone forgets about the differences between all of us. And we all come together to watch this game and to cheer on like random strangers next to us, like cheering on for the Orioles and everyone's happy. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to be in the business of bringing people together for things that people love and that, that I can find something common between strangers and they're happy with it. Like there's really never any issues. I mean, you know, opposing team, but like the rivalry stuff, everybody loves that too. So it was really like just about bringing people together and how sports played such a big role in my life, because I really don't know what I would have done if it wasn't for softball. It provided so much structure for my life and so helped me become really the person I am today. What was your favorite class in the major? Ooh, um, oh, that's a good question. Probably my most favorite one that was so interesting because like it was so new to me and I and I never really learned anything about it was actually, this is going to sound crazy, but anatomy and physiology. I loved learning everything about the body. And I didn't realize that when I was going into this program, it was actually really science-based as well. It was in the kinesiology department. Like it's not in the business department, it's in the kinesiology department. So I had to take biomechanics, exercise physiology. And I definitely liked those labs and I liked those classes because it was teaching me how to live a healthy lifestyle. It was teaching me about nutrition and how important it is to stretch and how important it is to prevent osteoporosis and just anything that you realize like you're after taking all of those classes, just as like a combined, like I learned that like my body is a temple and you need to treat it as such because your body runs for you. It breathes for you. It digests food for you. I think about like the least I could do is, you know, feed it some protein and veggies most of the time, you know? <laughs> so I would say probably anatomy and physiology, but right after that, probably sport management was my most favorite one. Being able to do internships. I know that I remember a while ago, you had the opportunity to intern with the Baltimore Orioles. What was that experience like? And what was the biggest lesson you took from that? So my internships, my I first applied for one that was actually all the way out in Missouri. And and I had applied for the Baltimore Orioles internship a while ago and they had accepted me. And I was like, I really want to go somewhere like just for the next few months and like really have fun with this internship because it was my senior internship. So it was connected with a thesis as well. So I knew I was going to have to do a big project. And I was like, that would be really cool if I could like zoom in and do my presentation that way instead of having to actually present it at the school. But it ended up not being what I wanted. So I actually emailed the people like two months after they had already accepted me. And they're like, yeah, we still have a position open and you can come on in. And I was working for the corporate partnership marketing team. So basically any partnership, I'm talking the signs on the field, the the little tents up um, in Camden Yards, the signs between games, what's run between each inning, between each pitch, like down to all of that marketing. Our job was to help foster those relationships and create new relationships so we can get more sponsorship money for the Orioles. And in turn, it was actually really cool because they would have a couple nights where they would bring all the sponsorship, like all the partners, and they would actually have a huge gala and all the, um, Orioles players were there and you got to chat with the players and I was the intern so I was just going around taking photos but it was still really cool all being in the same room as everyone like I remember one time I walked in the hallway and Adam Jones just casually passed me and I was like <laughs> like he's like breathing right next to me like this is crazy so that was really cool Chris Davis wasn't there his wife was giving birth he ended up I think it was twins right he, he had I believe so. And that was, the, yeah, and he didn't get to be there. I was like, dang it. But it was really interesting. I learned a lot. And I actually learned more than I thought I was going to because I ended up turning it into a really good thesis about why millennials aren't attending baseball games as often as older generations and everything. Like trying to figure out, and my task was basically trying to figure out the partnerships that 
were needed to have to bring those millennials in. Um, and it ended up being a really great presentation and I learned a lot and they really enjoyed it. They actually took my, my stuff and they looked into it and were fostering relationships with certain people. Like I know Wawa was a really big partnership that like they didn't have. I, I don't know if they have it right now or not, but that was one that was like millennials love Wawa. Like they will come if they get free hoagies. So like we need to be giving out free hoagies or something, um, you know, just stuff like that. So I learned a lot from it and I met some really, really nice people, some really good friends that um, I talk to here and there still. And it was really fun. It was a really good time. I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't do any other internship over that one. My prior internships for Wicomico County though, I loved those too. That was like, live in the dream. I know raking fields and and organizing and and getting things ready for the USA tournament doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but I was living the dream. I loved it every second of those internships too. So I I've been really lucky. I haven't had like an internship where you're like you're kind of like the scut and you just get coffee or something. I've never had an internship like that. So I think I was really blessed with the ones that I did get. And very interesting. Just think about it. A lot of people don't get that opportunity to be a little more hands-on with their internships here. Either some people are just doing the grunt work. They're not actually doing anything. And I know a few people who intern, and again, I don't like hijacking it and talking about myself, but my internship in college, I did it at uh, Channel 4 in Washington. And they, they had you charting games. They had you interning. You had interviewing people. You got lucky. I always tell people, my first intern assignment, was an Allen Iverson softball game. I interviewed Allen Iverson. I interviewed LeBron James. It was two, summer 2004. Oh so God. that was the first one. And then my second interview was Dave Batista from Guardians of the Galaxy. And I interviewed him when he was still wrestling. So it's, That's you never so know. Cool. You That's never so know. Cool. I mean, I mean, I, and I was like, I always like felt bad. Like, man, I, I missed doing the Redskins training camp. I had friends who went to UMES who also did them like, nah, I'm good. Sitting out there from six to 11 doing stopwatches. I'm glad I only did my five weeks, but. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and then one of the other things, just looking back at the Wesley experience, I know the news has been big in the past year that Wesley has now been acquired by Delaware State University, and that just changes the university status now. It feels like it's, I don't know if it's being relegated now to just a health school as opposed to its previous stature as a private college. But when you heard that news, what did that say to you? And especially as a D3 athlete at Wesley that is no longer happening there just because that was Delaware State's decision to end the athletic programs yeah. there. Yeah, it really, when I think about the programs, I first when I think about the football program, because the football program was just so good and they did so well. I know the track team did so well. And then for school-wise, I know nursing and the kinesiology department were really great programs. Like a lot of people were going to Wesley to be a nurse. And it kind of sucks because you think about it, and you're like, how many other options? I know there's Wilmington University, um, but how many more options are in Delaware that provide a smaller school for people who need the smaller classes? And, you know, and I know some people don't want to go out of state, like out of state can be a lot more expensive. I know Wesley was a private school, so it was the same for everybody. But a lot of people were from Delaware that went to Wesley. There were some people from New Jersey maybe a handful from Pennsylvania. But other than that, a lot of the kids that went there were from Delaware. So I feel like that kind of takes away an opportunity. But then at the same time, I, it makes me wonder because I remember the business classes I was taking there wasn't up to par with what I was expecting to learn compared to the kinesiology department classes. So I always wondered about that. And then all of the other programs, I always heard like iffy things about them. So in like, I guess like hindsight's 2020, but I never really thought this would happen to Wesley, but I would definitely say like, if, if you weren't in the nursing or the kinesiology program, like it's kind of like, why are you even at the school? I don't know, like the other programs just weren't up to par. So maybe, maybe that's something that's going on. Um, but other than that, I feel for the football team because so many people were going there and a lot of people had scholarships to go there. and. I know they have such a tight knit group there, especially with their former coach that passed away. I remember when that happened, 
when Coach Ross died, it was really, really sad. And honestly, like football is the really the only thing that really brought everybody together um, at that school. And basketball, uh, I know the basketball team is pretty close with each other, but it does suck for those kids that want to stay in Delaware, want to play at the D3 level or want to stay at the smaller school. But now they would have to go to a D1 school or maybe Wilmington University or something like that. So that kind of sucks for the people who live in Delaware. From your entire experience at Wesley, what is the biggest takeaway? Um, I would say everything that I took from Wesley is like the biggest lesson I learned is like what you put in is what you're going to get out. That comes to your mental health, to your physical health, to your job, to, to everything, to anything that you set your mind to. And it really, like I said, like when I was there and I had that burnout kind of happened to me and it kind of like that combined with learning everything about my body and everything that I should be doing. And, and even like, I was also working full time once I stopped playing softball there and I learned time management through that. I wanted to work full time, but also go to school full time. So the whole experience combined, I definitely learned time management and then how to treat my body and putting your mind to it and you'll be good. It really just, you put your mind to it and you just think about how good it is for yourself and how much you are going to solely benefit from it. It almost sounds a little selfish, but putting yourself first is totally necessary. Like it, you're not selfish for, for putting yourself first or anything. Putting yourself first is, is essential to living a healthy life. So that's kind of what I took away from the whole experience from Wesley. I know you were mentioned mental health. How have you just tried to handle that? You talked about the burnout that occurred there. How has that set your path, especially when it comes with mental health? Um, I learned a big part that I was setting unrealistic expectations on myself. And I was a very, there's this really good book. It's called The Gifts of Imperfection. And I was a really big perfectionist. And that also led to my burnout as well, because you're just pushing yourself so much into your breaking point, because you will do anything to be perfect, have the perfect grades, have the perfect pitch, um, have the perfect batting average, and all that. And that's kind of how I think I did so well, because there's a line between like, setting like realistic expectations and expecting things out of yourself. And then once you cross that line of, it's just unhealthy. It's you. I mean, it's true. Perfectionism doesn't exist. And that really took a toll. And that's when putting my mental health became so important. And there's a lot of things that I do, like just simple things like going to the gym that has like getting out. It's it's nice because here it's pretty much always sunny. <laughs> so like just going out, getting your vitamin D and everything. But I feel like I had to go through the burnout to understand what my body needs and what it deserves. Because I know one thing for me is if I think about it, like my body deserves this, like it deserves the eight cups of water a, a day. It deserves eight hours of sleep. Then it doesn't feel like a chore. Like it doesn't feel like the things that I have to do for me are a chore. It feels like, Oh, I'm doing this for me because it needs me. And, and it's already doing so many things, like my body's already doing so many things for me. So I definitely had to go through that burnout to realize all of these things collectively. And now I just like to like, if someone comes to me, I'm just like, put yourself first. That's a lot of the times that's what I say, like, you need to think about yourself first. And a lot of the times that solves the issue, because I know a lot of people that don't know boundaries, and they don't, they just kind of take what they're given. But you don't have to do that. Like, you control your life. So definitely had to go through that to realize all those things. Going on after college, did you ever consider a career in sports management? I did. I did with all of my heart. I remember I moved to Philly. I wanted to work for the Sixers so bad. It was, I was like, I already worked for the Orioles. I worked for USSA. Like I can do this. I know I can. And I moved to Philly, got a temporary job because I was like, I want to be able to work for the Sixers, but I need to get there first, especially because in the sports world. And to be fair, the school teaches you th these things. They say, first off, you're not going to be paid $100,000 a year. You're not going to see that kind of money, not for 
quite a while down the road if you're lucky to receive that kind of money. They were like, you're going to have to start from the bottom and work super, super hard to get yourself to the top. So, and they preface this in your very first day in your sport management class or your very first, not sport management, the class itself, but whatever class, your health class or whatever it is, when they're like, these are the sport management students, these are the exercise science students. As a whole kinesiology, you guys have to work harder than you think to get where you want to be. So for me, my mindset was I need to get as many internships as possible under my belt. And then that way, when I come to graduation, like they'll see that I have all this experience already and I'll be set. Well, that's not how it works. You have to be out in the real world. Like they, they love your internships, but they, they need real world experience. So I remember going and applying for a job. It was just a sales associate job. Um, they offered like $8 an hour and my rent in Philly was $1,200 a month. And I was like, I don't know how am I supposed to do this? Like, how, how is this going to work? So I was like, I could work full time for them, serve on the side and just work my life away until I get into a bigger position there. But the thing is, a lot of sporting positions, you start out in sales and I don't like sales. I don't like I don't like changing someone's mind to be like, you need to get this or, you know what I'm saying? Like, I like the event part. I like bringing everyone together. I like managing the event, managing the sponsorships. And I saw a few, actually a few jobs that weren't sales positions. And I applied for those and they reached out to me and they're like, we see your experience, but you need to start as a ticket salesperson. And I was just like, I just can't do that. Can you work with me and help me? Like, I want this job. And they never got back to me. So I ended up actually doing free work for Philadelphia Soul, the arena football team. They are awesome. I didn't realize how good they were. Like, they like win every year or something. <laughs> and I did a lot of partnership stuff there too. And I was thinking, I was like, well, hopefully, like, Maybe this will lead to a job. Ended up, there was a job that popped up in AC for a new arena football team. And I had already been previously working with the same management group of this Philadelphia Soul. So they were like, go apply for that position. I'm like, okay, okay. Well, Philadelphia to AC is a long drive. That is not an easy drive to work. And I took it. And when I got there, I interviewed. And at the end, he was like, can you do this drive, though? Would this be comfortable? Because you just moved to Philly. You can't move to AC. You can't get out of your lease. So I ended up not taking the position there because the drive was just not it. I ended up coming home because I was discouraged. It was hard entering. It's really hard getting into that world. But I will say I had two friends that went to be ticket sales for the Sixers. One girl now works for the New York Rangers, loves it there. And the other girl, she continues to work for the Sixers. She's moved up and she's being paid more. But both of them lived in that area. So they could still live at home and make the drive and do everything they were supposed to do. But for me, I was like, I've already worked at Wicomico County Rexham Park, I could work at the Shorebirds, but I decided to just take a different change. I was like, I'm, I was really discouraged by it. So I ended up going into events and then ended up in sporting events again for a housing company, which was super cool. They do all the housing for U.S. rowing and um, U.S. lacrosse. Really cool things. They do it for Ballparks of America, a lot of youth organizations, which was really cool. But yeah, so I definitely took an interest in being in the sport management world. It just wasn't the right fit for me anymore. Mm -hmm. Do you do any rec recreational activities since college? How do you stay in shape? I like to go to the gym. It was really nice going to school for sport management and kinesiology because I learned all the workouts and everything that I needed to do to get where I wanted to be. So I definitely enjoy going to the gym. I actually just got a new membership down here. Um, I used to go to... Cure Fitness in Salisbury, um, very busy place, very large gym though, but I got Planet Fitness down here. Awesome. They have tanning, they have hydro massaging, chair massaging, light therapy. So they have a lot of cool things there. So it kind of like, it motivated me even more. I'm like, I really need, because moving, I wasn't able to be in the gym until I got this membership again. But I, I like to do that. Once I get my feet, once I like meet some friends, I'm hoping I can find some kickball leagues. Or like, I'm not really good at beach volleyball, but I love beach volleyball. So I'm like wondering maybe if I'll find some people for that. But I'm terrible at slow pitch off ball. So that just isn't 
And I think I'm too old for fast pitch now. So <laughs> I kind of left softball in the back and decided to focus on other sports that I haven't played in a while. What's your personal best, I guess, lifting? Because I assume some people go by, okay, how much can he lift? Well, okay. So my most proud personal record, and it's not a squat, it's not a deadlift, but it's a Bulgarian split squat. And there was at one point where I can hold 235 pounds. So set of 35 pound weights in my hand and be able to do the Bulgarian split squat. <laughs> it's basically where you put the the one foot on the the bench and then the other and in front of you. And it just engages your hamstrings and your quads and it burns so bad, but it's so good. It's such a good exercise. And I just get so proud, but not a lot of people know what it is. So they're like, oh, 35 pounds, that's it. And I'm like, I promise it's a lot. It feels like a lot when it's burning. <laughs> but I think my highest squat has been 185. I think that's the PR for that, for, for reference for people who know what the squat is instead. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, squats. Hey, some people it works, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's so crazy. I used to love deadlifting, but then I developed that lower back pain. So now every time I deadlift, it's unless it's like, if it's heavy weight, it's just so much pain. And I'm like, oh, but these make my legs look really good. So I just do them with lightweight now. But that used to be my favorite exercise, but I, I can't do it anymore. One thing that we've seen you do presently or most recently is getting into painting and art. How did you find that path and what led to that? So when I was little, I my grandma would, she was the biggest artist. She would crochet and knit and sew. She would paint. She would make, I remember we would sit down and we would make bookmarkers of Disney characters and then she'd like laminate them for me. So I'd have like, like you know, 400 bookmarkers, like, I don't know who needs that many, but, <laughs> and then quarantine hit and my house was in the middle of a renovation and I was actually living with my cousin at the time. And we were sitting there and we're like, what the heck do we do? We can't watch Gossip Girl anymore. Like I can't watch Vampire Diaries anymore. Like I can't watch anything. We need to figure out what we want to do. So we came up with all these goals and we started to crochet. And then like, I started to become like super serious about painting. When I had moved back from Philly, I had started dabbing in it just because I was like, you know, I started drawing, it started out drawing. And then I found some old paint and I was like, hmm, I went to the Dollar Tree, you know, got a few more things to paint, got some of those little canvases. And then I started just seeing if I could paint with like taking a painting. I don't know if you've ever been on Pinterest, but you know, you go on something and they show you, if they show you a painting and then everybody comments, the painting they where they tried to paint it to do. So I was kind of doing that for a little bit. But then I was like, I really, really enjoy this. So I started making gifts for everybody and they really liked them. I started giving Christmas presents as these and then quarantine hit and I was like, I want to make a collection. And my friend um Morgan, her mom has a friend and in Chincoteague they have their own little art gallery. And I asked her, I was like, hey, like, can I get in on this? Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but like, I want to do it. And she was like, yeah, of course. And I was like, and then in two weeks or th was it three weeks or something like that, I had to have at least 10 paintings done. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I just signed up for. How did I do this? And I, I kid you not, every second that I was not working from home, I was in my room painting, drawing, just trying to get everything done for that show. And then after that show, people started asking me for paintings. And I was like, I mean, if you guys think I'm that good, like I can attempt to paint something for you. Yeah, sure. And then it was just a snowball effect and it was so many other people. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I just like fell right into it. I was like, I, I didn't know that after. And it was so crazy because the things that I painted like to begin with, it was really hard for me to consider it art. I was like, this isn't, like, it just doesn't look like what you think art is, like, in the galleries. But then, like, I've learned, like, art is art. Like, art is anything that you make it to be, anything you want it to be. And the freedom in that, especially recently for me, has just been amazing. I slowly went from, I remember painting my first collection being like, I'm never drawing a hand and I'm never doing a face. 
And then all of a sudden I did this whole like line of portraits and now I'm doing like all of these hands and I'm like, this is crazy. And it's so nice. Like kind of, I really like this question because it made me just realize like really look back and like see the progress I've made as an artist and like how it's become more, I mean, it's, it's my passion, but it's become like something that I can make money off of and profit off of, which is great. But there's also like, now there's a part of me that, I was doing so many commissions for so long that now I'm at the stage where it's like, I want to do art for me right now. Like, I just want to focus on me. And if, if somebody likes what I make, that's awesome. I'll get a print for you. That's awesome. Cause I also dabbled into digital art. I made the investment and got a very expensive tablet, but honestly, I tell everybody, I'm like, if you're an artist, if, if your mom's an artist, if anyone's an artist and they don't have a tablet, get them a tablet because I can paint in bed. I can paint while I'm watching TV. Like I don't have to go to my studio and sit down for four hours and like paint. And there are times where I'm, I definitely want to do that. I prefer that over it. But, but just being able to watch the new episode of Loki and paint away is my dream. It's so convenient. I love it. So it's been very good for me. I would say very good for me. My art has been. I was going to ask how long does it normally take you to do one? So digitally, it's obviously quicker because there's a backspace button for when I mess up, which is really nice. <laughs> I remember one time I went to go paint right after I digitally painted and I messed up and I cracked and I went to go hit the back button. I was like, wait, there's no back button on this painting right now because it's an actual painting. <laughs> but yeah, I would say for a painting where I'm actually with acrylic painting, I would say probably like the one that you posted of King Von that I did for this group, that probably took seven to eight hours. But that oh, was wow. also because that was my first painting that I done that much detail on. Um, paintings that I did for my collection, probably between four and six. But I promise I sit down and I paint and I look up and two hours have gone by. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? Like, what went on and then and before you know it your back hurts because you're sitting there too long and you're like oh it's like seven o'clock and I started at I don't know one <laughs> so but for digitally it definitely takes a lot less time probably cuts the time in half to be honest which is easy because it helps me get more art out faster so I can keep people engaged and looking at what I'm creating and stuff so I know you mentioned the hands and it's a funny thing. That's how they say a lot of cartoonists. That's why you see the four finger hands because they're so tough to draw. And yeah, and now you said doing the hands. Yeah, it's, it's understandable because sometimes you can get the hand and then the weird thing that's put the pinky or other times you have to try to do the contrast between these three fingers right here. They are very difficult right. ones. And I know plenty of people who do art and a couple people do comic book art and I'm like, I don't know how you do it. I really don't know how you do it because that is a task. It is. And it's so funny because my cousin, she was helping a lot with my collection. Um, just because, you know, in the beginning, you're not as confident. So it's like you need someone there being like, girl, that looks so good. I can't wait to hang that up. I remember one time she like looked at one of my hands and it was like on the girl's head. And she was like, well, it kind of looks like a tentacle destiny. And I'm like, a tentacle? Really? You had to use the word tentacle. Like now I can't unsee this. Now I have to learn how to draw hands because I'm just using Squidward's tentacles now. Like, uh, just so. call it manga and you're good to go. Right. <laughs> the tentacles, you can call it manga. So we've been talking about your art. And another thing I want to say, of course, when you're talking about art, how you're not sure how it's supposed to look. And I always see art is like humor. It's subjective. It's in the eye of the beholder. Somebody might think one comedian is funny and then some think that same comedian is not funny at all but you, you can go a drastic different route where we can go off on a whole tangent about comedians and like oh i think this guy's funny i don't think this guy's funny or right. just like artists had their periods this comedian was funny back then but not funny now or they weren't funny back then yeah. and they just got better as it went along right and it's hard because when you do realism like back to like the perfectionist in me because that's really what I was doing for a while like I, I was like I just want to do realism that's what I feel comfortable with that way I know when my painting comes out what it's actually supposed to look like but then I was like putting all these pressures on me to be perfect and make sure I do it exactly how it's supposed to be done that I was like oh this is terrible now it's like now I feel like I'm in school again where I'm like 
putting all these pressures on me. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to join an artist group on Facebook, see what happens. Maybe people are feeling the same way I'm feeling. And I joined all these groups on Facebook and like all these other artists are like, I go through the same thing. Like been there, done that. There are some things that I don't even say out loud because I'm like, that might be dumb. But then someone posts it on my art Facebook group. And I'm like, I was thinking that too. So like, it's so nice that like I've joined those groups because they've definitely helped me realize that no matter what, at the end of the day, like whatever you make and you're satisfied with, like that's art. It doesn't matter if nobody likes it. It's your art and it makes it special because nobody else is going to make this exact same thing. Which is also something that I love about art because, I mean, obviously plagiarism, you, you can't do it. But like, it's so nice because sometimes I start with a blank canvas and then I end. I'm like, I didn't even know that's what it was going to end up like. I This was not planned, but I'm really happy that it looks like this. Yeah, and it sounds a little different from how the sculptor said, I see the brick and I'm just freeing my sculpture from the brick because some people have that thought, what's in their head, what they're going to get, what they're going to get out of it. But, you know, blank canvas, it it is all for you to decide. Exactly, exactly. One of the questions I want to ask, and I always do this when it comes to podcasts, uh, when it comes to celebrities, who would you say people say you look like the most and... If there is a movie about your life, who would you have star as you and what would you title it? Okay, well, I've gotten a lot of people tell me that like kind of like right through here, I look like um, Emma Watson, who plays Hermione. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people tell me that I look like Emma Watson. I think if, if I could have anyone... And this is just how I would want myself portrayed, I guess. If I could have anyone probably play me, just based on all of the movies they've been in and, like, what they've brought to the table, I guess. Like, I want to say Mila Kunis because she's just so freaking funny. And, and like, I wouldn't say I'm the funniest person, but she's, like, always, like, super strong. But she's also funny. She knows how to be feminine she knows how to target her her masculine energy too so i don't know like if i wanted i mean and she's beautiful there's that too there's like always that plus but like so i think if i would choose anybody i think i would feel like i would combine her with emma stone because emma stone has that kind of um dryness like almost sarcasm but the dryness to her it's like i could like combine those and I think that's those two. I would combine them and that's who would star as me because it's really funny that a lot of people laugh at a lot of things around me and I'm all, and I don't always laugh at them. Like my cousin will be crying laughing and I'm just like, yeah. And she's like, you just have no sense of humor. I'm like, I think it's just, I hate it. I have a really dry sense of humor and I hate it so much, (laughs) but like, that's kind of how Emma Stone is. So I'm like, that's kind of where that's coming from. But I wish I could laugh at everything like she does. I really do. <laughs> you mentioned Emma Stone and you were talking about sarcasm. Somebody I thought about, and you know, I always say this, like certain things are like a dollar store version or a poor man's version of this. I just thought about a, I hate saying the bargain basement version of Emma Stone is like Jane Levy. I don't know if you watch Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist or Suburgatory. She reminds me of Emma Stone, but a drier sense of humor. Yeah. Like down to the red hair and everything. Oh, down to the red I- hair and everything. Yeah. I'm going to have to Google that because I have not seen either of those. Yeah. Uh, Cause Man. like she played the super dry sense of humor in suburgatory. But yeah, that was like, Oh, that was years ago. I was still living in Salisbury. So that's like t- 2013, but the yeah, Zoe's yeah. extraordinary playlist that just got canceled. But yeah, you can see she uh, fairly, you know, it's like getting something off wish you, you instead of getting something off Amazon. Yep. Yep. I can see that. I can see that now. Oh my gosh. Uh, I might, be more like her then now now that i think about it maybe i'm just the 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 big lots version of (laughs) of (laughs) oh so what we were talking about who would star a movie in your life what would you title the movie oh man what would i name it i would probably name it something along like the (laughs) when i think about myself in the movie i really think about the title of being a hot mess like that's what I think about, unfortunately. But I feel like it should be more artsy or something. Or like, I don't know, but like there's also 
the beauty in it because like messy is like the opposite of perfectionism. And I feel like I've battled that my whole life. So I feel like now that I'm thinking of myself as a messy, like a hot mess person, I'm kind of like almost a little proud of it because I'm like, I've been the opposite of this. I don't want to go back there. So like, I don't know, I guess I'm just going to go with a hot mess. But I also <laughs> really liked, like, what, what was the one that you had said earlier? Uh, work the of art. art. Work of art. I love that too. I love that See, I, too. And in this whole discussion, I just came up with another title, which would probably be the episode title, but Sunshine State of Mind. Love it. I love that. I expect sunshine because I'm in Florida. Of course. I love that. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that's how it works. Sometimes you rarely go into an interview like this and like, okay, I think I got a title already picked out. And then other times it's like, right. eh, I got nothing. And you listen over and over and it's like, oh, that's how it comes. It hits, right. It just comes to you. <laughs> <laughs> Before we start wrapping this up, do you have anybody you want to give any shout outs to or anyone say hi to or things like that? Um, I want to... Sounds crazy. I want to promote my art. Um, I don't really promote it on my personal account because I'm like, you guys are following me because you want to see what I'm doing personally, not really my artwork. Um, but my art account is DM Studio 23. I believe it's the same thing on TikTok. I also do personal TikToks though. So, you know, if you want my life and my art, you can do that. If you just want the art, you know, Instagram is good for that. I want to shout out Morgan Kelly's artwork. Shout out to her for, you know, giving me my first art show and everything. Definitely. Anything else you want to add? <laughs> I, um, I don't think so. I just, I mean, put yourself first, you know, mental health and exercise and, you know, eat right and something. Just always remember that your body deserves better and it deserves the good things and you deserve the good things. And that's all I have to say for anything. <laughs> It was great to get a better understanding about how having the right mindset and taking care of your mental health was important to Destiny. I wish her much success, and I look forward to catching up with her again in the near future. Next time, my guest will be friend to the show, Vanessa Junkin. We'll talk about the past two and a half years of running, how the pandemic affected her running opportunities, and a close call that she had on one of her runs. With all episodes of The Sports Refuge, you can find this and other episodes wherever podcasts are heard, including Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, Podbean, and you can listen to episodes on the Sports Refuge website as well. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of these apps and also leave a mention, which we'll read on a future episode. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.